Welcome back to the Getting Buckets Podcast. I'm Ethan, and I'm joined today by my two friends, Matt and Jordan. What's up, guys? What's up? And uh, just before we start, I do want to apologize for the long layoff in between episodes. Um, David went back to school, and we've both been busy with our schedules, but I'm going to try to upload episodes more frequently. But I don't think David's going to be as involved, which is okay, because I'm better than him anyway. So... Yeah, so let's get to it. So, right now, obviously, the uh, Nuggets-Lakers series is going on right now, but I think it would actually be really important to talk about the series that just happened beforehand, which is the Clippers and Nuggets series, obviously. And that had to have been one of the most epic collapses by any team in NBA history. I personally wouldn't say it's the worst collapse in NBA history, but I'm kind of curious to see... What you guys think? Yeah, well, I was saying this to you earlier that I was saying that this very well may be the worst collapse in NBA history. This was, it was just so shocking. It was just so shocking. The Clippers were, the Clippers were picked to win the NBA championship. It wasn't like they had, you know, hopes to maybe sneak into the Western Conference Finals, whatever. They were. Most people were picking them over the LA Lakers. Most people thought that they were better, uh, better matchup wise, and everything like that. Um, so it's just it's very shocking that they were up three to one, and they just it 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 wasn't even just the fact that they lost the series; it was the manner that they lost it. It was a manner that they were up by fifteen plus in games five, seven, and uh, or five, six, and seven. Excuse me, five, six, and seven, and they just lost every single time, just spectacularly. Jamal Murray went off so many times. Uh, Nikola Jokic went off so many times, and the Clippers just didn't have any response. Kawhi Leonard was awful. He shot six of twenty-two in game seven. Paul George was. Terrible, even even worse than Kawhi somehow, and he shot four of fifteen. Lou Williams went ghost mode. Montrez Harrell went, what was it, Jordan? Minus sixty four, uh, plus or minus. Like that, yeah. Just absolutely embarrassing for a team that was picked to. They 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 were they were pretty much the favorite to win the NBA championship, and they lose three to one to the Denver Nuggets. They're a strong team, but they weren't really picked uh, to to go very far they were they were picked probably to make the second round and that's about it but it's just very embarrassing for the the clippers definitely worst uh collapse of all time given the given the hopes that everyone had on this team yeah i think when you just you look at the what they gave up to get paul george um ended up being f- five first round picks two pick swaps Shea Gilders Alexander, who's a very promising young point. Shy is great. SGA is sick. He's really a lot of fun. He's going to be with that team for a while. And Danilo Gallinari, who's obviously shown he's a still a very good stretch four in the NBA. Um, it's it's so disappointing because they only have these guys for two years. Though they both have opt outs at the end of the next season, so for them to not even make it to the conference finals is just completely embarrassing the Nuggets were a great young team but they were really playing with house money no one really expected them to get this far I mean there's some people who expect them to get to the second round but not to a game seven against the overwhelming favorite like the Los Angeles Clippers it's just 
when you saw Game 7, I can understand 5 and 6. You know, the Nuggets really just showed heart and played terrific games. But Game 7, there was zero excuses. They The Nuggets were playing bad defense all game. The Clippers were just missing wide-open shots. Paul George literally hit the side of the backboard uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. Like, when they went down 20, it was just embarrassing to see that they couldn't. They were focusing too much on the Lakers. This team was built to beat the Lakers, and they were talking all year about how we're the best team in LA, laughing at Damian Lillard about how he's going to get his ass sent home again this year. Meanwhile, they're just they're just too much in their heads, and they and it, the moment got too big for them. Well, I definitely it was a huge collapse. You know, in my opinion, I wouldn't go at, so far to say it's the worst uh, collapse in NBA history. I mean, we've seen some pretty bad ones. You know, LeBron. Had one against the Mavericks. Kobe had one against the Suns in the playoffs. So no, we know the same. players have choked up uh, pretty routinely in the NBA. It's happened before. Um, but to me, the lion's share of blame does not go to Kawhi Leonard. I mean, yes, he played horribly in Game 7, but he did show up in Game 5 and Game 6. And uh, nobody was there at all. Lou Williams did not show up at all. The whole time in the bubble, he was garbage. And uh, Montrezl Harrell also didn't really lower the expectations. And to me, honestly, I'm looking at Doc Rivers, who has now given up a th- his third 3-1 lead in the playoffs and his second one with the Clippers. And to me, I know Doc Rivers is a great coach, but I think he's extremely overrated. If you look at his overall playoff winning percentage without uh, KG, um, it's pretty bad. Um, I just don't think that he really makes any adjustments and he just wants to keep on going with the game plan that he has and it just isn't working. It happened when, with Chris Paul when they are up 3-1 against the Rockets in 2015, I think. It happened when he had Tracy McGrady in Orlando and it happened again. And I just don't think Doc Rivers is, is the, could be the coach anymore. I, they gotta, I mean, and the sad thing is, though, I don't really know what other candidates exist right now. So they're gonna, probably going to stick with Doc Rivers, but... I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. I just don't think Doc Rivers is going to cut it anymore, in it's, my opinion. It's definitely pretty clear that... I, I definitely agree. It's definitely pretty clear that Doc Rivers needs to uh, move on, or rather the Clippers need to move on from Doc Rivers. Um, he's he's having two blown 3-1 leads, especially when your team is featuring this year Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Lou Williams, like a very, very talented cast. And in 2015, they were they were probably, they, they were definitely favorites to beat the, the Rockets that series. The the Rockets were slightly underwhelming. This was the, the pre-Chris Paul Houston Rockets. This was with, like, Dwight Howard as their, uh, Dwight Howard as, as their second star. So yeah. it wasn't like the Rockets were super uh, fearsome. And what I I remember they were beat by like Josh Smith that yeah. in in like one of those those games this this guy who was outcasted from Detroit because he was just such a bad shooter yeah he was shooting like like twenty nine percent or whatever and he couldn't stop making threes in the playoffs he, he couldn't yeah right so he definitely so yeah I absolutely agree Doc Rivers needs to be out the Clippers could look for I don't know you guys were really bearish on Mark Jackson. I don't think he's so terrible. Mark Jackson, he laid the groundwork of that Warriors team that Steve Kerr kind of built upon. I think that that would be something that the Clippers should look at. Doc Rivers, they need to move on from him. They they 
simply they need to do a change period. I think we can all agree, right, that they, they need some sort of change. They, they need some sort of shake-up because uh, some of the, you know, the most important thing that a coach can do, right, is to build, like, a team narrative, a season narrative. And one of the reports after the Clippers lost is, well, it wasn't even a, a report, you, you could just listen to, to two guys talking, that Paul George was saying that this was not a um, boomer bust year. But Lou Williams was saying that. So right there, there just is a miscommunication. The team narrative is not straight. The guys don't know what they're fighting for. And that goes on the captains of the team, right? Kawhi and Paul George. But it also, most importantly, falls squarely on the shoulders of the coach. The coach needs to set that straight. You know, when you, when you look at Doc Rivers, Ethan, you mentioned that at the beginning that he's a great coach. I don't even think that's a fair thing to say anymore. How, like, how great of a coach is he? He got like put on a pedestal for that 2008 Celtics team that won a championship, even though they had three Hall of Famers on that team in Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. Also, like, just just to just to like jump in real quick on that on that one point, that playoff run, um, the first round was uh, seven games against the Atlanta Hawks. Second round which team I think it was maybe the Cavaliers they beat them in seven games second uh, the conference finals they beat the Pistons in uh, six games seven games and in the NBA finals it was also in six games so they almost played the maximum amount of games they, they played 26 games out of a maximum 28 games especially against like the Atlanta Hawks come on you, you, you Paul Pierce in his prime KG in his prime Ray Allen in his prime that that Rondo yeah that well. yeah that probably goes on the coach's um, you know mistake thing because that just means that the Atlanta Hawks are making adjustments to uh, throughout the the series against the Celtics and Doc Rivers isn't able to um, you know modify his um, game plan. Yeah, I just I'm not a big Doc Rivers fan. I think he has no idea how to make adjustments. Like, Ibiza Zubac was clearly the best big on their team in the playoffs, and he just refused to play him more than 30 minutes a game. He was giving Montrez Harrell a lot of a lot of run, and Harrell, like Matt said, was just horrendous on defense. He literally couldn't defend my grandmother, and it was it was embarrassing <laughs> to see. And if you're talking about a your, shakeup... Your grandma, bro? Yeah, I don't know, man. yeah, that's how bad he was, and Lou Williams wasn't much better. Um... But yeah, when we're talking about a big shakeup with this Clippers organization, it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, this is Jerry West still has a lot of power in this organization. We know he's not afraid to shake things up. He has a strong voice in there. And, you know, when I look at coaches in the NBA, the three top guys I look at are actually in the East. I look at a Brad Stevens, a Nick Nurse, and Eric Spolstra. And two of those three guys, Eric, Eric uh, Spolstra and Nick Nurse, those are both guys that were promoted from within the organization who worked their way up from the bottom as like video coordinators and like G League assistant coaches all the way up to the top. So I don't really think, you know, Mark Jackson, I'm not crazy about him. Like, I think he has a lot of issues outside of coaching just with stature in the organization. Obviously he had a lot of issues in Golden State. Most of the most of the staffers had a terrible relationship with him. Um, how, was, he, how was he so bad in Golden State? What, what he, were those stories? There was a lot of stories that just he 
Try to like enforce the, his religion on them and stuff. Yeah, he. Oh, like, really? I mean, he took Steph Curry and tried. To, yeah, like, but that's that's hilarious, though. That's hilarious, dude. Bless, Come on. He tried. To I mean, honestly, yo, it it low key it might have worked. <laughs> low key, it, it. I mean, I mean, look. Let's let's just look at the the facts here before Mark Jackson baptizes Curry's left or right ankle. Uh, before that happened, he was getting injured all the time, sprained ankles, fractures, whatever, and then I guess he baptizes it, and then he hasn't had an ankle injury since, so I don't know. Well, uh, also, it's like, going back to the Clippers, though, like, the future of this team does not look uh, very very good right now. I mean, next year, I think they really only have, like, another one-year championship window because uh, Montrezl Harrell is going to be a free agent. Yeah. He's gone. Well, that's that's also they assuming that they get most of their guys to return for next year or the year after. Yeah, that. so yeah. I, I I don't even know what's gonna happen. Like Trez is yeah, Trez Montrez is a UFA this summer. Yeah, right? so Montrez he's, is, he's probably out. Montrez is, is gone too. Montrez is gone. Morris is gone. They're all gonna get paid a lot of money. Dude, Morris is a bum. Morris is a bum. Nick's got a first round pick for him. He's not a bum, but he's definitely gonna get a. Morris was just so mad that Luka Doncic is like Daddy nine years younger, but just has more talent in his pinky than Morris had in his entire life. <laughs> no, and right. he was just so visibly just butthurt about that. But yeah, I just wanted I wanted to mention with the Clippers hire really quickly. If the, I obviously there was a report from Chris Haynes that. They're planning on bringing Dockers back into the fold next season. They're obviously going to bring him shouldn't back. Shouldn't shock too many people, but I think if they yeah. were to look past this year and a future coaching candidate, someone like a Sam Cassell, who's been in that organization for a long time as an assistant, I and think deserves the opportunity to be a head coach. Absolutely deserves an opportunity. Yeah, he has a strong voice in, uh, in that organization, and I think he would. I, th- I think he would be great. I think there are a lot of young coaches like a Darvin Ham, who not a young assistant coach, but he's been a long time assistant under. Mike Budenholzer, I think someone like a Wes Unsell Jr., who is the architect of that Denver Nuggets defense, would be a terrific hire. Someone like Becky Hammond, who obviously deserves a chance at coaching in the NBA. She's Apparently, a she's a she's the front runner for the Pacers job. Actually, she's been a long time assistant under obviously maybe the greatest coach of all time, and Greg Popovich. Uh, someone like uh, Greg Hardy, who's also a Spurs assistant, Ime Udoka, an assistant yeah, Philly. under yeah. Philly, and there's also Jamal Mosley too. Highly touted. So I think guys like that are. Coaches that not only the Clippers should look at, but other and other organizations around the league, is just to have that kind of guy. I I think we can all agree on that from this point forward. Uh, Doc Rivers is on the hot seat Definitely. in in L A. And if they get off to a slow start next season, uh, I think we can also expect a mid season firing, a mid season shakeup. That 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 would be pretty shocking, just because you have two transcendent talents like a Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George. But if they underperform again, you know, especially if Trez leaves, if Montrez leaves and it turns out to be a bigger hole than they expected, uh, and they, they start off the season maybe three games of five, uh, 540 games in, or, or maybe 30 games in, like may, maybe they're like 18 and 15 or so, I, I could absolutely see that. 18 and 15 and they just lost, you know, four games in a row. 16 and 15 lost four games in a row. You know who's looking really good right now? It's it's Sam Prestes. He's probably sitting somewhere on his yeah. couch smiling, just looking he has at that. So collapse. many picks. All the picks that he got, not only from the from the Clippers deal, that those seven picks, but also the four first round picks that he got. 
in the Russell Westbrook trade. He's, yeah. he's probably the most underrated GM in basketball. He's done such a terrific job. I don't job. even think he's underrated. I, he's not, yeah. I think people just Maybe know not. that just, he's a stud. He's a terrific executive. And Danny Ainge is a, is a Celtics GM, right? Yes. Yeah. He's, he, I think, is overrated. Yes, he extremely. But that's yeah. a topic for another time. Right. Um, you know, I do want to talk about another... It's not really a collapse, but it was a failure of another team. Yeah. And that is the Houston Rockets, who... Made that crazy uh, mid-season move to trade Clint Capella to the Hawks, and yeah. they went completely small ball. It worked in the beginning. Of getting getting back Robert Covington. Yeah, it worked in the beginning. They won like seven in a row, and then they lost mm-hmm. six in a row. Then the COVID happened. They went to the bubble. They actually looked pretty good in the bubble in the bubble games, and they did. I was pretty high James on the Harden Rockets. Looked great. What James Harden? Looked I was great. really high on the Rockets going into the playoffs. We but know. We know. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, bro. You're always, you're so, always high on the Rockets. I was high. I was high on James Harden and the Rockets, and um, yeah, I mean Harden did usual Harden things in the playoffs. He fucking sucked. Uh, against the Lakers was horrible. I mean, I don't think he really played well, really, aside from Game One and any of the games. Put up eleven shots in Game Five. Yeah, so he just disappeared. Uh, Westbrook tried his best, but. Westbrook was trying his best. You don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So, um, so I mean, that's Westbrook funny. he tried his best, and they just they they flamed out in the second round against the Lakers. They won Game One, and then they they got swept after that. Uh, and the Rockets, now that Mikey Antoni informed the team that he's not returning, uh, the future of this team also looks pretty grim because I I don't really know. I think Daryl Morey is going to be on the hot seat. I honestly think that for the Rockets. Making that Westbrook trade this summer, giving up so much, um, they really were expected to make a deep run into the playoffs and at least make the Western Conference Finals. I'll probably even make the finals. So I think Daryl Morey is on the hot seat. Uh, I, I don't even know who's going to be coaching this team next year. Uh, who even knows? Um, so we know we all know that um, they just gave up a lot for Westbrook. They gave up CP three, two first rounders. And two pick swaps, and you know Sam Presti again was just playing everybody uh, last off season. But uh, I'm kind of curious what you guys think about Mike D'Antoni not uh, returning to the team next season. I I think honestly it's a good thing for the Rockets. I think D'Antoni was just not doing the right things with James Harden. He wasn't giving him any ability off the ball. Whenever, like you watched in the Lakers series, when the Lakers were just double team Harden because they knew as soon as they got the ball out of his hands. Harden would just stand at half court and he wouldn't do anything. Like, D'Antoni has to utilize Harden more off-ball. If you look early on in his OKC days, he was one of the best off-ball cutters in the league, and that's what makes someone like a Steph Curry so good, is that not only that he can kill you with his shooting, but he just, like, runs around in the half court. He'll just run through 15 cuts at the Warriors set for me. He gets a wide-open three. James Harden has to be more of that kind of player and not just standing around because he gets tired out. That was the excuse D'Antoni used. I think having someone like that, and maybe even... I don't know how it's going to be possible with his massive contract, but getting rid of someone like a Russell Westbrook, I think that pairing doesn't work. I think Westbrook is just way too ball dominant a player. I think he needs a big man to work. Like if you look, I looked at his statistics. Um, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer gave out a great um, graph that showed when he was with OKC, forty-two percent of his assists came out of the pick and roll with a big man, and Houston it was only twenty-one percent. So. Westbrook is at his best when he has a big on the floor. So if they were to keep him, I think having someone like a, you know, just even not not Tyson Chandler obviously because he's way past his prime, but just 
getting someone on the free agent market at the veteran minimum, just having that big body, not a P.J. Tucker, even though he was great in the series, I think would just be so beneficial to the Rockets. Maybe someone, maybe looking at someone like Paul Millsap, maybe, trying to get him over to the, the Rockets. Just get a big body in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just they they went double or nothing. Like in, in gambling when you when you just go double or, or nothing, you just you, you win something and you they just go, you, you know what, I just wanna, you know, put all my chips in this one play and see how it works. Uh, because so when they still had Clint Capella, I mean it, it makes sense to the logic, right? Because they had a lot of guys who could play a lot of different positions. Russell Westbrook could kind of play the center, like he he like at least sometimes rebounding he, he, wise, yeah. re, rebounding wise, yeah. Um, he's very active, so he can you know harass those bigger guys too with his with his never ending energy. Um, and so when they had Clint Capella, when they would put him on the bench, they would be even better. Sometimes when he was sitting on the the bench, so you know Daryl Morey, he's a very forward thinking GM. He is thinking, you know, how can we try and get a leg up on the others in the Western Conference, especially now that this is the first year that it's wide open since you know KD left the the Warriors and. Clay's out, and so so now the Warriors aren't really a thing, and the West was completely open. So it totally makes sense, and they did really, really well, uh, but they ran into the one team that could have really given them trouble, the LA Lakers, with a lot of really talented centers. They have Anthony Davis, who's, you know, as we all know, incredible, and they have two really good bench guys who are, you know, centers, uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. And the Rockets just were never able to match up against that. I agree that having just a couple of guys at the end of the the bench who are you know big and tall and you know could bang against those guys would be really helpful. They they already have Tyson Chandler though, right? Like but he, he doesn't he is play. There, but he's but he's he's, gone. he's like he's like thirty eight. He's, 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 he's on his last yeah. legs. So if they can sign someone like that, it, that would be that'll be fantastic for them. But uh, I I think I think it was a really cool idea. For them to go, it's it's not even small ball. It's kind of, it's it's like small ball and also like long as well because all the guys had you know large wingspans like like Robert Covington has one. Um, but PJ Tucker is not able to play defense against NBA size centers. I mean, he held he held his own. He he Andy did Davis. he he did hold like, his for own. A guy but that's like six five. No no no. I I, I get it, but like you can't do it on a yeah. season long thing. Maybe in this little experiment of like half a season that was also cut thirty games short by COVID, then maybe PJ Tucker could do it. But also you have to you have to realize maybe this could be like a neat little thing for like a playoff run. This is not feasible for a whole season. You can't win a championship with a style of play. It's it's not well. I I do agree with that, but also just like the logistics. PJ Tucker cannot be playing against guys who are seven inches taller than him and like thirty pounds heavier than him. Eighty two games a year, he will get hurt. Absolutely, I totally like agree with like you. there's there's just no way that it is just humanly possible. It's just it's no way, no I, way. You were you you were talking about you know how Dwight Howard and Javale McGee were kind of. Giving them trouble, they didn't. I mean, they didn't really play much in the series outside of Game One. Obviously, 
and they well, got. They didn't really need them. Yeah, they they get no because they lost in that game and they realized that the big having those bigs on the floor against someone like a PJ Tucker was giving them matchup trouble. So they just move someone like an Anthony Davis to the center spot, which is where he probably should be, but he refuses to play during the regular season. And it just gave the Rockets a, t- a ton of matchup nightmares because Anthony Davis was just going to work against PJ Tucker and guys like Russell Westbrook and just made yeah. it just it was barbecue chicken for him. Well, I I think the Lakers their game plan was to kind of almost make Westbrook beat them and beat them by shooting and Westbrook will always take that. He will he will always take that offer, and every single time in the playoffs he, he has just, he, he has just too much rips. pride not to shoot the open threes yeah. if they let him shoot. And it. and the Lakers they'll they'll gladly let him take those twenty seven percent he shoots on threes or, well, or whatever. This is. is why I I'm not hundred percent giving up on the Rockets. They did show me some good things, even though they lost. They played amazing defense for the first time ever. I think you actually saw James Harden actually play defense. James Harden, okay. James, James Harden, Harden has been playing defense he, pretty well. But inspired defense. Inspired defense. The whole team. The whole team was the. But the, the whole. Not just James Harden. It's the whole really, team. It's been since the Olympics. The whole team was playing. I don't know that far back. No. Nah, the whole was, team bro. was playing. The whole team was playing great defense. And, uh,. As as a, also with the Harden and Westbrook pairing, I think that there is a way that they can make it work, but I think that I, I think so too. James Harden is just gonna have Definitely. to stop being as ball dominant. He's gonna have to change his game up. He has to be moving off the ball. He can't just do what he does. You know, dribbles the ball for te- thirty seconds, step back three, completely stalls the motion of the whole offense. So he's gonna have to change his game. But there definitely is a world in which that the pairing can work. Because they're not getting rid of Russell Westbrook's contract. Nobody's taking it. Three years, so they're, million. they're stuck. With, they're going to have to figure out a way to make it work because they cannot get rid of it right now. I, I just I wanted to you know say that um, what you were talking about with Westbrook and Harden working together, I really I don't think it can work. I think both of them are too ball-dominant. Ball I think he had the perfect pairing with Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul was the right kind of point guard to have in that offense where you know he's not going to... He's really he's not gonna kill you with his jump shot. That's the biggest thing. Chris Paul has a reliable three point shot. You saw it with OKC how he basically revitalized his game. It was just like same old Chris Paul, but he didn't have to worry about James Harden standing around like you said for thirty seconds just dribbling the ball. And I think you know Harden got too much in his feelings about Chris Paul being too strong of a voice, and he just wanted to have his best friend Russell Westbrook and play basketball with him. And that, and, that, and that was a big problem. Chris Paul and James Harden really were a nice pair together. Yeah, no, they obviously were, they were they were the only team that actually gave those Kevin Durant Warriors a run for their money. I honestly thought they were going to win the series too. And that's that's the most talented team of all time. Just when you look at from a pure talent standpoint, those Warriors teams and they they, they were they guys, could, and they gave them a series run and, for and they almost beat them. They they were up uh, in the, the game seven with uh, with two quarters left at halftime. They were yeah. up. If Chris I, Paul doesn't I, get hurt, yeah. yeah. Also, also, if the Rockets don't miss, like what 22, that's, so that's, were, that's on hard. They were over that's 27. Like no, was, the whole the whole was, team uh, missed. Every, everybody missed. Uh, PJ Tucker, everybody, nobody could make it. They, they but I, I think that's also a testament to just how incredible of a player James Harden is. He is unbelievable. I think he's one of the best scorers of all time. I agree. It, honestly, like he's he's as good of a scorer as anybody in NBA in NBA history. You name any other shooting guard, any other player, uh, you can make a good argument that James Harden is just as good of a scorer, if not better. He has mastered the gather step, absolutely mastered the art of the gather step, mastered the art of um, 
drawing a foul, getting to the foul line. He's just unbelievable at that. And no one can just no one can stop him. No one can actually stop him. He he has an incredible step back, and he's James Harden is just he's he's averaging what thirty six points a game this year. He uh, averaged like thirty five or thirty seven the year before. He's he's just unstoppable. Um. Yeah. No. Obviously, we know James Harden is great, but the MVP was recently announced, and uh, it came with a lot of controversy. So let's talk about it right now. Well, the MVP was Giannis. Um, he went back to back, and you know, there was a lot of people saying that oh, it should have been LeBron, and LeBron actually only received what like fourteen or sixteen first place votes, <laughs> which is uh kind of ridiculous to me. Uh, and to be honest, like I thought that Giannis deserved the MVP, but maybe he's like I have a little bit of recency bias for what I saw in the playoffs, but. He honestly just did not deserve it. Like, Giannis just choked so hard these playoffs. And just, like, considering what LeBron has been doing this whole season at the age of 35, like, I was just honestly so impressed with what LeBron did this season that, honestly, it probably should have been LeBron James, even though Giannis, yeah, he averaged, what, like 30 and 10 on 30 minutes a game, which is crazy. And almost the best defender in the league, too. So, obviously... Giannis also deserved it too, but I don't know. LeBron really did have a season for the ages, and it kind of sucks that he came up short because it would have been a great, a great uh, story if he won. I I just think it's so dumb to give the MVP so late into the playoffs. Just give it right when the regular season ends, right before the playoffs start. It's so dumb. It it takes it takes away from it. I mean, I, it's it's I I think he deserved it. It's it's a regular season award. I think you can't factor in. The playoffs to it. I mean, if you look at his numbers, I pulled them up right here. He averaged thirty points a game, fourteen rebounds, six assists. What in, st- in the playoffs? No, the regular oh, no, season. A steal, one steal, one block. He was he shot fifty five percent from the field, and obviously, like you just said, thirty minutes per game. It's insane. And he was one defensive player of the year. No, which, obviously, which is well deserved. Had so a great year. I think you know, based on regular season stats, he was the best player in the NBA, and that's what this was. It's a regular season award. LeBron James was incredible, and he carried that Lakers team to the number one seed in the West. When so many people doubted him for God knows what reason, um, but it's Giannis deserved it. But obviously, like you said, his performance in the playoffs was embarrassing. The Miami Heat made him look like a joke. They just built completely built a wall around him, kind of like a couple years ago. What Toronto with the, did? With, no, I wasn't going to say Toronto with Philly and the Celtics. How they just built a wall around Ben Simmons because he couldn't shoot. They were just collapsing on the, collapsing on him on the paint. And it was the same, the same exact thing with Giannis. He just he he has to build a reliable jumper in order to take that next step and be a true championship player. You know, I was watching a b-ball breakdown YouTube video uh, about that, and you could see the progression of Giannis's jump shot from when he was a rookie. And when he was a rookie, he actually had a nice form. He had a pretty good form, and he was a better shooter in his rookie year, three point shooting wise. I think that was his highest percentage. You, like when you guys can fact check me on that. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, so usually when a guy shoots right, you you catch it like at around your like crotch level, and then you will do a dip where you like hunch your back over a little bit, and then you bring yourself back up for a shot. Right? It's the it's the dip, and. A lot of shooting coaches, for whatever reason, uh, like to coach that out because what that does is it does technically slow the release time that it takes from when the ball it goes into your hands to when it's out of your fingers. 
Um, but the thing that's so important about that dip is that that's where a lot of guys that that that's where just most shooters in general get most of their power from. It's that dip. It's the the whole motion. It's it's natural. It feels right for just so many shooters. And the Milwaukee Bucks shooting coaches, they coach to get rid of that dip that Giannis had. And now he kind of has this weird set shot where he has his feet just mad far apart. You can you can see it. His knees buckle in, and he just pushes. He just pushes like like a like like a Shaquille it's, it's like a Shaquille O'Neal free throw. It's an ugly shot. It does not work. He shoots very poorly with it, and it's really unfortunate because at this point in his career, he's eight years in or so, I, I understand that he's young, but he's also been doing this for a long time now. Yeah, it's hard to break those habits. Uh, it's hard to break those those habits, it's, exactly. It's, it's muscle memory. It's muscle memory. Obviously, we've seen players do it. You know, Lonzo Ball had a whack shot, and he changed it too. Um, 37% shooter this year. Yeah, so yeah. it has happened, and obviously I'm not rooting against him. It would be awesome to see Giannis develop a jump shot. He would be unstoppable. But I also kind of want to talk about the Bucks dynamic too, because... Um, his role on that team is now also coming into question too, because uh, it's really hard to know what his future is going to be in Milwaukee. You know, after the playoffs, the Bucks can offer him a supermax worth like two hundred thirty million dollars, and if he denies that, the Bucks may actually trade him out of fear that he's going to leave them in free agency for nothing. Mm-hmm. So this was well, this actually is going to be like. Monumental to see what actually might happen this offseason. There's a possibility that Giannis might get traded to a contender, even who knows. So, uh, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. Uh, what do you guys think will happen? I, I just I, I I don't think you can trade a talent like Giannis to Giannis because just because he him alone is enough to bring your team deep into the playoffs and be a championship contender every year. You can't trade a guy like that. It's like trading a LeBron. Or trading a Kawhi or trading a KD, you just can't get rid of those kind of guys, and you can't assess fair value in a trade for a guy like that. What kind of teams have the assets and they're close enough to the playoffs to take on that kind of player and give you fair value? And also, I think with the Bucks, what they need to do is, you know, realize obviously Giannis with the jump shot, like I said, it's an issue, but Chris Middleton isn't going to cut it as a number two option. Finally, he's you agree with me? Oh my God! Thank he's, you. He's a very good player. He's an all-star level player. He's a perennial all-star. I, I know we have he's, these arguments. He's about definitely it. a championship third player. He's I have be. been arguing this with you literally the whole year. I've been telling you that Chris Middleton is not that guy, and you, we argued about it. No, and no, I we argued about proven him right. being better than Brandon Ingram. He's what? not. Okay, We're, that that's a conversation for another day. He's not. But what, but what he's what, not. What I'm talking about here is that, like, you know. RJ, Richard Jefferson went on ESPN and said Giannis is like Scotty and he's looking for his MJ. That's obviously that's such a stupid comparison. I think you know, even though I can't stand him, Max Kellerman made a much better comparison where Giannis is a Shaq looking for his Kobe, where he just needs that guy like Anthony, like LeBron James looking for Anthony Davis just to elevate that Lakers team to another level. You know, KD looking for that Steph Curry just to really take them over the top, and Giannis needs. Giannis needs that kind of player. Like, he needs someone who is just going to be as dominant as him, if not more dominant. And if, you know, I don't really know who that player is off the top of my head. Maybe it's a James Harden if they decide to blow it up. Who knows? There's no way that's happening. I really think that's possible. They hate each other, too, so there's no way that's happening. Maybe a Chris Paul 
he's not obviously a Kobe type of player, but he can really command the floor. He can, you know, bring more shooting. He's obviously a better player than Eric Bledsoe, who is a great defender, but he can't score for his life in the playoffs. And they just they need a better number two than Chris Middleton to take that team to the next level. And they need to prove it within the next year, or else Giannis is going to walk. Obviously, Miami, Toronto, Dallas, Clippers, they're all suitors for him coming next year, and they're going to offer him big money and better opportunities. So they have to make a strong push for someone this offseason. You know, there was a report that was put out today that Giannis was requesting to get Chris Paul onto the, the Bucks with him. So there is some movement in that direction to getting Chris Paul out from OKC and then to Milwaukee. Uh, that would be such a deadly combination. That would be a good move. Can, can you imagine having Chris Paul feeding Giannis. Yeah, but the problem is like It'd be unbelievable. Giannis can post up, he can he can get onto the perimeter, he can do he can he can give post moves, he can get baseline, he can it would be unstoppable with Chris Paul feeding him and directing but, the offense. Then because a lot of times now because they, they don't really have great point guards there in Milwaukee, Giannis is forced bringing up the the ball being that point forward and he's he's clearly not a point forward. What he is, he is an extremely agile Shaq, he is he's he's much more agile than than Shaq is. He's he's not as quite as dominant as Shaq was. Just not as strong. He's yeah, not, he's as, not strong, as strong, but he can do a lot of other things that Shaq couldn't. There, him and him and Shaq are very very similar in their effectiveness and how they should be used. I mean, Shaq has said it himself on like multiple TNT broadcasts yeah, that yeah. his game reminds him of him just the way he yeah. can. Just, just the way take he dominates over in, the, in the post, in in the the post of paint, right? So imagine having Chris Paul feeding that. Uh, that would be crazy. And you keep Chris Middleton, and you keep Eric Bledsoe, yeah, and you, you keep settle Chris Middleton uh, Brooke that, Lopez. That, that yeah, third option, just like you know, a Clay Thompson kind of role where he can just spot up and shoot and drive yeah. a little bit, be a good def- good team defender. You I, know, you know, Chris Middleton can take over games though. Oh, absolutely. It I'm was, not it was, I, I think out. it was game three or game four against the Miami Heat. It was game four. Uh, it was it was game four. He, he, saved had, he had 36. He saved, he saved oh, them right, from right, because cause Miami was up 3-0. Yeah, he saved yeah. them from getting swept. Yeah. Yeah, right. Chris Middleton without Giannis that game too, right? He had yeah. he had 36. Like, he's he's good. He really, really is good. He's, he's not just, like, third option championship level good, but he's not quite second option championship level good he's somewhere in between which is which is kind of weird for a lot of teams because if he's not a if a guy's not a clear number two or a clear number three it's kind of hard to square them in terms of you know putting them into the the lineup how many touches they should get whether the the gm has to now pull out a, a whole bunch of different moves to get that second guy that third guy whatever um, but I think that Chris Paul, at this stage in his career, is also in that in-between, like, second-best uh, player on a championship-level team or third-best uh, third player on a championship-level team. So I think that it would be really good to kind of pair those guys that are in the middle of second and third-caliber um, players uh, together with this extremely dominant player, Giannis. Uh, and I, I do think so if they get... If they end up getting Chris Paul and they keep all the, the guys, no one walks in free agency. I don't know who is a free agent or who isn't, but they would be the clear favorites to leave the Eastern Conference. I was on your podcast a few weeks ago, Ethan, and 
we were doing like predictions to win the Eastern Conference, or, or rather, this was I guess longer ago before the playoffs uh, started, and I predicted the the Celtics would come out of the Eastern Conference. Um, but uh, so I I think that now against the Heat, it's you know a bit of like a, a problem. Uh, the the Heat are really are really uh, stronger than than I expected. Yeah, the Heat are a great story. Um, they honestly well, could go to the finals, and the legend of Jimmy Butler would just grow if that happened. Uh, I love Jimmy Butler. I just think he's a winner. You know, he's not the most talented player in the world, but he does what it takes to win. He shows up when it matters most, and that's really all you could ask for any player, really. So, you know, I've just been really impressed with what I see from the Heat. I think the Heat are going to win the series, but I do think that um, the Gordon Hayward uh, return to the lineup for the Celtics uh, could cause some problems. They already did win Game 3, so uh, Game 4 is really important uh, for the Celtics to win, but I do think the Heat will end up winning the series. What about you guys? I just want to, before we touch into the actual depth of the series, I wanted to talk about, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Butler, how great he is. I just, you know, he's one of those guys where you just say, like, he's built different. Like, he has a different kind of mindset. He was he was built for Miami. You know, like, we've seen over the years, they run that, that organization like a military, Pat Riley, like top to bottom, he knows he wants the most disciplined guys who just have that championship mentality 24-7. And Jimmy Butler didn't have that kind of stuff in Minnesota and Philly. I mean, you know, clearly Philly fans are missing out right now. They ended up giving $289 million in total money to Tobias Harris and Al Horford. And what a mess. It ended up costing them. They could have had someone like Jimmy Butler, but, you know, it was too much for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons didn't want him taking over the offense in late games, even though that's when Philly was at their best, when Jimmy was their closer. And in Minnesota, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins didn't respond well to him at all. We all know the well-documented practice where Jimmy was calling them soft and just cursing them out the entire time and just beat them, beat them with third stringers. Like, you know, he's just, he has a different mentality than some of those guys. And you can see in Miami, guys like Bam Adebayo, Gordon Drogic, uh, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, those guys have that same mentality as Jimmy Butler. And I, you know, when Miami first started the year, I really didn't expect much out of them. I was expecting them to be maybe, you know, a second-round team that would fizzle out. But they're really just, they're such a fun team to watch, especially with Bam Adebayo, the way he can switch from one through five. Just, he can guard, you know, the opposing team's best player. And Jimmy Butler even calls him sometimes the best player on the team, you know. Like, reporters will ask him, like, hey, like, how does it feel to be the best player on the, in Miami? He's like, you talking about me? Like, it's Bam Adebayo. Like, it's just, it's so much fun to watch their dynamic and how much fun they have playing together and just how tough and hard gritty they are. Even though, as a Knicks fan, it's tough to watch Pat Riley build such a great team, but mm-hmm. I, you, you you have to root for them. It's, they're, they're, they're such a Cinderella story this year, and I'd love to see them, you know, challenge either the Lakers or the Nuggets. Yeah, and this, is, this would clearly be um, Eric, Spoltra, Eric Spoltra's greatest coaching work if he brings his team to the finals, uh, who honestly... I could envision being a Hall of Fame coach if he ends up getting another like another true uh, piece in Miami. That team will win championships if they get a legitimate player, for sure, with already the foundation that they have. So you know, Eric Spolstra has been an extremely underrated coach. He's one I, of the I think he's one of the best, best coach in the NBA. I've, I don't I've, know about best, but he's I definitely think top him and, three. Him and Nick Nurse are right there. Uh, yeah, you can never get rid of Pop, but well, Pop, you know, Pop is like you know, it's it's a given. Like he's obviously great for what he does, but his teams 
are just like a little bit off right I now. Know, so I'm talking about right now. If you're talking about the best coach in the league, uh, I think it's Brad Nurse. Stevens is so Brad so Stevens is right there. Really too. Like I said earlier, you know those kind of guys. Stephen Ash. No, coming from a Nets fan. Brad Stevens is actually kind of getting outclassed by Eric Spolster right now. I don't know. The he's, Celtics he's won game uh, three. Well, they they got a little lucky in game three. Oh, you um, think this series is going to Miami? It it sure seems like it. It does seem like it. I I, I was I really was high on the Celtics coming into the the playoffs. Me too, but Kemba Walker really just hasn't been the same. Uh, he's you know what though since he, he got he has that stepped injury it up. a little he while has, ago. But he has stepped it up as of the past uh, couple of games. That's true, but there's still some games I see that only has like 15 or 18 points. Um, if the the one thing I will say on that is if Eric Spolstra keeps out coaching Brad Stevens for the rest of this series, it will go to Miami. If Brad Stevens uh, starts to actually coach to what his caliber is, I think it'll swing back in Boston's favor and they'll pull it out and my prediction will uh, uh, still be all right. I think Brad Stevens, you know, he's a good coach, but he just he got elevated to like that god status after the 2018 playoffs where yeah. there were literal polls where it was said who would you rather start a franchise with LeBron James or Brad Stevens <laughs> yeah and the polls were pretty, that like come on that's just ridiculous like yeah he's obviously a very smart uh, coach but no, he's definitely one it, of the it, best coaches right now no, but he on this got panel. a little bit overrated too, way too quickly I don't know and he's back Jason, in the he's back in the Eastern Conference finals no, again no, I'm, not, I'm saying he has a really talented group of guys I was just going to say Kemba Walker, obviously. I think Jason Tatum is the best player on that team. Jalen Brown is, you know, getting pretty close, you know, to being an all-star level player, if not already. I think he already is, to be honest. He's just, he's such a fun guy to watch how athletic he is, how great he is on help defense, how he can score from all three levels. Um, Daniel Tice, very solid center. Gordon Hayward, obviously, like you said, is a big pickup for them at the four spot. I think they can give Miami some serious problems in this series. I would like to see them... Just, you know, attack the rim more and stop focusing so much on perimeter shooting. Because I think Tatum, just one-on-one, is, he's one of the top ten players in the league at that. He can be he can be a top three scorer in this league in his prime. Like, maybe even the best, who knows, right there with, like, Luka Doncic. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think bought, this is going to be a really good series. I expect it to go six or seven. Uh, I think it will be over in five. Uh, I just really believe in this Heat team. They're just really, they all play together. Tyler Hero is... Really surprised me with how uh, fearless he is in the clutch. He's not afraid he to take great. big shots. He's not afraid to miss big shots. You know, which also comes with the territory of shooting clutch shots. Duncan Robinson, the D three legend, who just uh, played Division three in college and now was, had the highest shooting percentage in the NBA this season. Was it forty seven percent? Yeah. So seven attempts per game. And you know, Derrick Jones Jr. is good for them. Dude, Bam Adebayo Bam is Adebayo becoming was a, an all-star in front of our eyes. He's a, he's a top five center in the league. Yeah. I don't think that's a that's a crazy thing to say. You know, you have probably probably even top three. Maybe you could argue that. You know, Kat, I mean, I mean so you have Jokic clearly number one, especially after this playoff. Yeah. yeah. Jokic clearly number one. You have Embiid there at number two. I think I think Embiid's better than Cat. Uh, and then, and then, honestly, maybe, maybe I'm taking Bam over Cat. I yeah, think Cat is just I'm, soft. I'm taking Adebayo. Yeah, Cat is just soft because Cat is as offensively talented as he is. Soft. You see, he's just very soft, and he, all you know, all of his talent doesn't translate into wins ever. You know, Devin Booker, uh, they're in the same kind of uh, situation. But at least sometimes Devin Booker will translate his talent into wins. Well, Cat really, it just it seems like well, it doesn't. 
Not to deviate from the topic, but I do think the yeah. Suns are going to be pretty good next year. I I think so. Too. I mean, the, the, like like you said with the Wings, yeah. like the there was a stretch this past season where the Wolves played seventeen games where they literally didn't win a single one with Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. He got injured for a certain stretch, and then they won yeah. some games. And he came back, and they started another yeah. losing streak. Yeah. That's a generational offensive talent at the center position. Play zero defense. His defense just, just completely yeah. devalues um, his abilities. Yeah, so so that's definitely why I'd say that uh, Adebayo is, I guess, you know, the number three center in the NBA. So right there, the Miami Heat have the third best center in the NBA. They have... Two fantastic shooters that can that can play both sides. Also, they have Jimmy Butler, probably like one of the best two way players in the NBA, Jimmy Butler, and just a fantastic leader, just a dog mentality. Uh, they have arguably the best coach in the NBA. They just have a really strong roster from top to bottom. They have mm-hmm. a fantastic rotation. They all complement each other. They have they have defense. They have shooting. They have they have. Um, aggressiveness. They have everything that a playoff team needs. They, Jay they, Crowder. They, they, is, they have that grit. They have Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder right? is a beast. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. If you if you watch Jay Crowder shooting, I think something that happened when he came to Miami is that the shooting coaches started working with him. I was watching. I forgot who posted it, but it was a video where Jay Crowder when he would set his feet for a three, he was when he would when he would just when he would plant his feet would be a little bit far apart, and now they're keeping it more close together, and you see the release point. With those kind of things, you know, his percentages are coming up seven, eight percent when he's doing that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. it's really impressive for just the Miami coaching staff. Not even Eric Spoelstra; they're just one of the best in the league. Chris Quinn, um, some of the other guys that they have there. Eric Spoelstra, you know, we know his story. He worked his way up from being a video coordinator all the way up to, to Pat Riley realizing his potential and promoting him to head coach. That's a pretty big, uh, pretty big step, and it's just so impressive what they can do having veterans like I said, Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill. Um, even grabbing like someone like a Kelly Olynyk, um, and it's it's they're, they're they're such a fun team to watch. Yeah, and uh, that's I think that's gonna do it. But you no, know, uh, really excited for how these playoffs are gonna end. And uh, with that being said, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Getting Buckets podcast. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. And uh, once again, I apologize for the layoff, but I'm gonna try to be posting um, episodes more regularly now. And uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys next time. Peace.